Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode, I'll be talking about Project Veritas's lawsuit against the New York Times, how more masks means more safety means more ridiculousness. Uh, I'll be talking about an allsides.com article talking about a Fox News article basically stating how Biden's seven-point plan was full of it, and he's just been lying the entire time. An article from the Washington Post, basically the acting police chief apologized to lawmakers for failings that allowed the January 6th breach. And finally, I'll wrap it up with the Libertarian Institute talking about Rachel Levine, President Biden's disastrous response to COVID. But before I get started, why don't you go ahead and smash that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and if you're liking what you're seeing and if you'd like to contribute to the show and see us grow, please go to notcensoredyet.com slash donate. There you'll find links available where you can help contribute to the show that allow us to maintain dependence from outside influence. So let's get started. So James O'Keefe last night basically put on a whole Twitter thread breaking down his lawsuit with the New York Times. And then the New York Times basically admitted that the what they claimed that Project Veritas's inaccuracies were, or basically that what they claimed uh, Veritas did in their videos was actually an inaccuracy in their article. And they did so under Oath claims made in the original article that allegations come solely from unnamed people now reverses course and acknowledges that many of the individuals in the featured in the video were unnamed. So basically he named them and he showed their faces and he showed them talking. So he's like, what are you talking about? What are you saying that I use solely just basically just voices in the background robocalling? That is not the thing. Uh, the second tweet, unnamed sources for me and not for thee. Maggie Astor claims Project Veritas ballast harvesting video was deceptive because she couldn't verify unnamed sources. Lawyers now admit that using unnamed sources is a common journalistic practice and generally accepted. And not only that, I'm old enough to remember for four years, I don't believe there was a named source coming out of the Trump administration and all these people basically wrote about it nonstop. I'm old enough to remember the suckers and losers and even John Bolton coming out and saying, oh, that's not a thing. That never happened. And John Bolton does not like President Trump. Three, Wikipedia based on bad reputation. Responding to her defamation suit, New York Times general counsel and reporter Maggie Esther rely on Wikipedia to say Project Veritas has bad reputation. Wikipedia. Wikipedia is not a reliable source. So New York Times is saying or is claiming that Project Veritas is not a reliable source because Wikipedia says so. But Wikipedia isn't a reliable source in itself because I – well, I'm not even going to say I'm old enough to remember. But I remember it was about 10 years ago. There was a basketball player from North Carolina and someone shadow edited his Wikipedia page to say he was the son of the devil. Four, unverifiable opinion section. Fact, check, fact checkers cite Maggie Astor false reporting featured in the NYT, a section uh, millions noted and uh, New York Times lawyers now claim her reporting was unverifiable expressions of opinion and are not actionable and cannot be 
defamatory. So basically, are they saying they're taking the Tucker Carlton uh, defense? It's just an opinion piece. They are not saying it's news. It's just an opinion piece. Unverifiable expressions of opinion. I'm old enough to remember when people were slamming Tucker Carlson, slamming Sean Hannity, because that's how Fox News got out of those lawsuits. They're like, hey, these are not news programs. These are opinion panels. These are opinion shows. So if they say something that may not necessarily be true, guess what? It doesn't really matter because it's just their opinion. Five, double standards are their only standards. New York Times lawyers admit in their own legal motions that they have departed from professional standards. And he gives a link to support their fight. And in the videos, he gives a lot of talk and a lot of reference to 1984 and how the news organizations would be uh, would basically peddle the doublespeak where they would say one thing and while it means another and basically just wishing washing just gaslighting the audience basically telling them it's raining when it's sun shining outside that way everybody's walking around with an umbrella because they're subservient to the establishment so Let's jump over to uh, Matt idea, Matt's Idea Shop says five masks efficiency, 110%. You actually get healthier. And the reason why he tweeted that was because he shows a photo of a CNBC uh, image. It's not a Chiron, but just an image that they displayed on CNBC where a double mask efficiency is 75%. A triple mask efficiency is 90%. My videos yesterday covered how Dr. Fauci said more masks mean more gooder protection, but of course you run the risk of not being able to breathe. So that is an issue. Of course, I guess you have a hundred percent protection if you have a hundred percent zero chance of breathing. All sides. Biden's nothing we can do. Comment on coronavirus con- uh, contrast with campaign optimism reporting by Fox headlines. So it shoots over to foxnews.com. President Biden's lament Friday that there's nothing we can do to alter the trajectory of the coronavirus pandemic stood in contrast to previous declarations that he would defeat COVID-19 during the campaign Biden exuded greater optimism about his ability to tackle the problem, releasing a seven-point plan to beat COVID-19 and promising decisive public health and economic steps necessary to get the virus under control. In November, Biden said he was going to shut down the coronavirus in office. I'm not going to shut down the economy, period. I'm going to shut down the virus, he said on November 19th. Biden was pressed Monday to explain the change of tone between his campaign promises and current sentiment. I know he always asks me the tough questions and he always has an edge to them, but I like him anyways, Biden said before calling on Fox News' Peter Ducey in a press conference Monday. And basically, I discussed this yesterday. He was like basically asking, why is the tone changing? And Biden's response is, I'm going to shut down the virus. I never said I'm going to do it in two months, the president said. It took a long time to get here. It's going to a long time to get or take a long time to beat it, which is weird. Uh, Biden also said Monday that he hoped to increase to 1 million vaccines per day before three weeks and eventually get to 1.5 per day. But friends, when Biden took office, we, are, we were already administering 
one million vaccines per day. They were using a little statistical trick. So when you roll, when you first rolled out the vaccine and when they started counting the amount of vaccines going out, there were zero vaccines being administered. So guess what? Those days it was zero, 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 10, 20, 40, 80, right? As it exponential growth, as you're basically um, establishing your distribution channels, becoming more efficient, figuring out how, how everything runs. And then a month into it, you were finally seeing a million vaccines per day. So that's definitely something to keep in mind, friends. It is not clear cut the way Biden basically said it was going to be. And he's he basically oversold and he's under delivering. And now his feet are to the fire. And you can tell every time he asks, he says, oh, well, you said it wasn't even possible just a couple months ago. And what now? It's not good enough. Come on. But after basically saying for months that Trump's been incompetent and he's basically doing the exact same thing Trump's did, uh, ex the exact same thing Trump did. So what do you expect? People are going to be frustrated. People are already frustrated about the checks. People are frustrated about losing their jobs, their union jobs with the pipeline. The Washington Post acting Capitol Police chief apologizes to lawmakers for failings that allowed January 6th breach. So the acting or acting U.S. Capitol Police chief Yoganda Pittman told House members that a lack of officers and appropriate weapon weaponry plus poor communication led to everything that happened. But what they also don't talk about is Mayor Bowser refusing to allow federal officers without her allowing it to happen. So I don't understand. They were expecting. So I, if I remember right, Alex Jones was basically saying we're going to have it's going to be a 10 million MAGA march. Of course, it's not going to be 10 million. But if you have 10 percent of the people out there, that's still a million people. And you there was no police presence with, you know, all these side by side pictures of saying, oh, when white people protest and when black people protest. Yes, you got to you actually got to do this because you had way more white people there who were super angry, just like you had a bunch of people there for the Black Lives Matter. But in this MAGA, in this whole MAGA thing, there was no police presence to keep because all it takes the herd mentality, right? All it takes is one cow to get spooked and you have a stampede just like that. And that's kind of what happened. In my opinion, you can have all your false flag theories, your conspiracy theories, your whatnot, but all it takes, even if it was right. But at the end of the day, there were still MAGA people in there doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So even if originally it was a false flag and there was an outside instigator, basically, or outside agitator going in to stir up the pot, to agitate, get everybody whipped up into a nice lather. You know, at the end of the day, there wasn't police, enough police there to do their job, which was to protect the Capitol, to even protect the citizens. So believe it or not, people think that a police presence during a protest is oppressive. It's really not. It's actually there for their safety. It's much better for somebody to get shot with tear gas. It's much better to get for someone to get shot with a rubber bullet than it is for them to get shot with a real bullet when things get so out of hand that they're breaking into federal buildings and Secret Service and Capitol Police have no choice but to use live ammunition and put people down. It is for your safety that there is riot police and there was no riot police there. And it appeared as if, and of course people say, oh, look, they were just letting them in. 
look, when you have four cops and there's 400 people in front of them, guess what? They're going to open the gates because they don't want to get crushed to death by 400 people who want to go through those gates. It's better for them to open those gates and go to the next choke point, a place where they could potentially resist those 400 people. They can't resist 400 people with just a little metal gate. It's not going to happen. That is a good way to get beaten to death. So keep that in mind. But I think a lot of people aren't blaming the mayor. And I think the first person who should be blamed is going to be Capitol Police. It's going to be the sergeants at arms. And it's going to be the mayor who turned down the outside help. If she she set forth a memorandum that made it harder for federal response to happen because you had to go to her to get permission in order to basically respond to anything that was going on. So now then when she reacts, nobody knows what to do because, well, she asked for it, then they have to get permission. So basically it adds time. It acts, it adds extra layers to the chaos. And in those uh, chaotic situations, uh, time means death, time means lives. So there's plenty of blame to go around. Jumping over to the Libertarian Institute, meet Rachel Levine, President Biden's disastrous response to COVID. On January 19th, it was announced that Joe Biden planned to nominate Rachel Levine, the Pennsylvania Secretary of Health, for the position of Assistant Secretary of Health in the Department of Health and Human Services. This is a potentially good news for Pennsylvania, who will finally be rid of her after having had to endure her disastrous COVID lockdowns and restrictions for nearly a year, but is likely bad news for the rest of the country. News coverage of Levine's nomination is focused almost entirely on the fact that if she is confirmed, she will be the first transgender official to be confirmed by the Senate and barely mentions or completely glosses over her handling of the pandemic in Pennsylvania. NPR doesn't mention her track record at all, other than noting that she, unsurprisingly, called for more federal funding to deal with the virus. The Morning Call at least reported that Levine has faced criticism over her handling of the virus response, but failed to mention that under Levine, Pennsylvania nursing homes were forced to accept covid positive patients. So what they did was essentially the same thing that I said in an earlier video about a Washington Post, Washington Post fact check. They, they referenced the original COVID order, which was in March, and instead of using the one in May. So in response, Newsweek published a laughable excuse of a fact check asserting there is no evidence to support Green's claim that Levine placed a corona-positive uh, patients in nursing home facilities, thus likely contributing to thousands of elderly deaths in Pennsylvania. However, the author, Julia Marin, seems to have failed to adequately research PA Department of Health guidelines. She cites a guideline issued in March 2020 that states that nursing homes must continue to accept new admissions and receive readmissions for current residences who have been discharged from the hospital who are stable, and that this may include stable patients who have had the COVID-19 virus. Um, Marnin then argues that this language didn't mean that nursing homes had to accept positive patients, but that they can and that there is no evidence that Levine's policy placed coronavi uh, coronavirus positive patients in nursing homes and attributed to thousands of deaths. This absurd uh, claim 
completely falls apart since later Pennsylvania Health Department guidelines make it explicitly clear that nursing homes must readmit COVID positive patients and continue to accept new ones, even if they are COVID positive. As well, guidance issued May 12, 2020, so just two months later, that a positive test result is not a reason to refuse readmission to a resident. That's bananas. So again, it's like closing your eyes and you're just looking at something older than more recent uh, information that's available. It's just disingenuous. It's a lying. It's not even lying through omission. It's just blatantly lying, spreading misinformation. A positive test result is not a reason to refuse readmission to a resident, and in that, an NCF nursing care facility must continue to take new admissions if appropriate beds are available, and a suspected or confirmed positive COVID-19 is not a reason to deny admission. So she created that policy, right? So COVID-19 a uh, COVID-19 positive patient is not a reason to deny them admission. And that was already seeing the trend that old people were the ones who were dying the most. So she implemented that policy and after, or it was either right before or right after she implemented that policy, she removed her mother from the healthcare facilities, from the nursing home facility, the Pennsylvania ran nursing home facilities. She removed her mother from that. That way her mother did not die. So it's definitely hypocritical. It's suspect. It's questionable. The question should be raised. Hey, how irresponsible is this person? Did this person's decision lead to thousands of death? Uh, uh, excuse me, thousands of deaths. Same thing with Cuomo and Newsom and Whitmer and uh, Lori Lightfoot. All of these draconian lockdowns, all these weird policies of sending old people or sick people into nursing homes. What was the ones in um, was the ones in Michigan where people, young people with COVID, were being sent into nursing homes for some reason, and nobody thought that was a bad idea until somebody beat an old person to death. That is bananas. Uh, so that's going to be it for now, friends. I'm going to do some more research. I'll drop another video in a couple hours. Y'all have a good one. Later. Bye. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. In this episode, I'll be talking about QAnon theorist Marjorie Taylor Greene, a glitch in the matrix, a um, apparent failed dunk from Anna Kasparian on Jimmy Dore. For some reason, she hates him. We all know why but I'll touch on it here in a second. A report from TheHill.com that users organize and coordinate violent and anti-democratic efforts on these pages, but Facebook does not just allow these dangerous pages to exist on its platform. It recommends them to users, Markey wrote. And an article from TheDailyWire.com, CDC, schools with in-person learning have sent a scant or have seen scant transmission of COVID-19. But before we get started, why don't you go ahead and smash that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And if you'd like to contribute to the channel because you're enjoying the content, you can do so by going to notcensoredyet.com slash donate. You'll find links available to uh, crypto and fiat currency. It'll really help us grow and help us stay independent from outside influence. So let's get started. Uh, in the incendiary incendiary tweet from the Democratic Coalition. This vile behavior from Rep. MTG is part of the bat, I can't even say the last part of that word if I want to keep this a child-friendly show, QAnon terrorist threat 
the GOP has allowed and encouraged to spread like wildfire among their voters and their elected officials. So she's unapologetically QAnon. And what I thought was really funny was uh, when they were doing the uh, interview circuit, you know, with the news organizations before the Georgia runoff elections, and uh, they were talking about uh, Donald Trump and the narrow margin with Joe Biden. And they were like, hey, well, how come you're not disputing your win? And I basically I went in, I jumped into the wildfire and I was like, why does she need to defend it? She won with 75 percent of the votes. Her opponent won with or her opponent lost with only 25% of the vote. I believe she won with like a margin of 175,000 votes. So go ahead and recount, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to find a quarter million votes for my opponent. Um, It's just bananas that people would even bring it up and try to dunk on her because of that. So CNN, Republican Rep Marjorie Taylor Greene repeatedly indicated support for executing prominent Democratic politicians in 2018 and 2019 before being elected to Congress, a CNN K-file review of hundreds of posts and comments from Greene's Facebook page shows. So her defense, and she even posted a defense before this article even came out, was basically saying, hey, I don't even manage my Facebook page. I have an intern who does that. So if the intern liked the post, I didn't support it. And I can see her point, but she needs to do a better job vetting her peeps. She needs to do a better job of vetting her crew. Green, who represents Georgia's 14th congressional district, frequently posted far-right extremist and debunked conspiracy theories on her page, including the baseless QAnon conspiracy, which casts former President Donald Trump in an imagined battle against a sinister cabal of Democrats and celebrities who abuse children. I don't understand why they just use that one. I don't understand why they don't say things like the storm and the deep state, because if there's one thing that has been proven true in the past four to five years is that there is a a bunch of Democrats and celebrities who have been abusing children and women. So it's really hard to say, uh, well, you know, it's just an imagined battle. So you can say the the imagined part is that Donald Trump is the one who's leading the crusade against the cabal. I would understand that. But I would say that, you know, maybe Donald Trump isn't an imagined crusade against, you know, the swamp, the establishment, something about the storm. You can say so many things about QAnon, but don't say the one thing that could potentially actually awkwardly be true um, just because of Epstein. So whether you like it or not, Epstein did have an island where there was inappropriate things happening with children and there was prominent Democrats and celebrities who may or may not have gone to that island because they traveled on his plane, but they weren't honest about where all the destinations were. So I would find a different different thing to hang my hat on if, when you're trying to bust the chops of QAnon. Don't, don't bust on the one thing that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. Uh, find something else. You know, trust the plan, the storm, the whatever that Trump is shadow government. Choose something different, friends. Choose something different because this is it's just it's again, it's ridiculous. Don't pick the one thing that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense when it comes to QAnon.
In one post from January 2019, Green liked a comment that said a bullet to the head would be quicker to remove House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. In other posts, Queen li- or Green liked comments about executing FBI agents who, in her eyes, were part of the deep state working against Trump. So basically, it's just her liking really just vile tweets. And so basically, again, her defense is, I don't run my uh, social media platform. And I understand that. So as someone who is a marketing, a marketing major, I understand that rich people or people who are busy, people that are busy running a campaign don't necessarily have time to run their social media because it takes a lot of time. If I'm on Twitter, I get lost in it for 30 to 45 minutes. That's 35, 45 minutes. I could be doing something else. So she hands her phone off to somebody else. She hands the reins to her account to somebody else. And guess what? They do it. And if they make a mistake, it makes you look bad. It doesn't make the intern look bad. It makes the important person look bad. That's all it is. Um, But definitely she needs to hire better people. Whether she liked it or not, it's definitely inappropriate. Um, But I I understand where where she's coming from. But if that is the case, then she should have done a better job vetting the help. Uh, Here's a glitch in the Matrix. Matrix. It's a black man holding a Confederate flag and a white man holding a Black Lives Matter flag. And I've seen this pop up a bunch on my Facebook and people say, what does this tell you? And a bunch of people saying that um, basically inappropriate things towards the black person holding the Confederate flag. And I jump into the fire basically saying, what, that there's more white people in the Black Lives Matter organizations than there are black people. And people don't like that answer. And then I every... I look up every democratic or Emmy, every demographic breakdown of all these riots and of all the meetings and of all the things that are going on with Black Lives Matter. And it always turns out that there's more white people involved. So I guess that's good. You know, white people should want to participate in the change of it. But it seems like the white people involved in these um, in these organizations seem to be a little more radicalized. They seem to be the ones who like to stir the pot like to cause trouble. So um, I would just keep an eye out on that because every time I see weird things happening, you know, when they shoot the videos of what's happening at the protests, which turn into riots, it's usually ends up just being the white people at the end or the ones who are causing the trouble. So keep your eye out on that. So here's a thing from Anna Kasparian. Basically, Jimmy Dore posted a tweet. I interviewed a member of the Boogaloo Boys. I was completely floored when he said he is pro-LGBTQ, pro-Black Lives Matter, anti-police brutality, anti-racism, anti-ICE, anti-war, WTF. Radicalized Michigan anarchist seeks unity with the left. And it's basically his um, a link to his YouTube channel. And then Anna Kasparian basically posts just headlines. Far-right Boogaloo Boys linked to the killing of California law officers and other violence. In the wake of killing of two law enforcement officers in Northern California, more attention is being directed to the Boogaloo movement, a far-right fringe group that has uh, been tied to violence around the country. And then she also posts a thing to far-right Boogaloo Boys linked to the killing of same thing, uh, California law officers, uh, Whitmer conspiracy allegations tied to the Boogaloo movement. So I basically dunked back on her. Basically, I just rejected it, denied it from the rim, basically stating, hey, that guy didn't even like Trump. He was like, we don't like Trump. Trump is the enemy. Don't you understand? Everybody in the government is your enemy. I think I'm still new to Twitter trying to figure out how to basically get all this to basically see where all the uh, comments are. But 
Ah, here we go. Yeah. Trump is not your friend, dude. It amazes me that people actually like believe that when we're when he's shown over and over and over again that he is a tyrant. Every single person that works for the government is your enemy, dude. Not far right, not far right wing, just anarchists. That was my response. But everybody are saying, oh, my goodness. Oh, you're a queen. Oh, my goodness. You're oh, you're you're dunking on Jimmy Dore. Prosecutors, three men plotted to terrorize Vegas protests. They love BLM, except when they plot an attack on them while demonstrating. That's what she said. My response. Did you even read the article? The informant said that during a May 27 meeting, Parshall and Loomis discussed causing an incident to incite chaos and possibly a riot in response to the death of a suspect, a reference to Floyd. Loomis stated he wanted to firebomb a power substation, according to the informant to the uh, criminal complaint. The informant stated that Parshall and Loomis Loomis's idea behind the explosion was hopefully to create civil unrest and rioting throughout Las Vegas. And basically, uh, somebody uh, kept talking. They want a civil war. They don't care how they get it. And I was like, they just want anarchy. They don't care how they get the anarchy. Uh, comprehensive reporting on the boot movement started on 4chan, basically about guns, violence, and civil war over the past uh, decade. And then I quoted from that as well. If there was ever a time for the boys to stand in solidarity with all free men and women in this country, it is now, they added. This is not a race issue. For far too long, we have allowed them to murder us in our homes and in the streets. We need to stand with the people of Minneapolis. We need to support them in this protest against a system that allows police brutality to go unchecked. So she keeps believing she's dunking on these people and she's or she thinks she's dunking on Jimmy Dore. She's not even reading what's going on. So Jimmy Dore is right. A lot of the Boogaloo. So you'll have racist anarchists. You'll have anti LGBTQ anarchists. You'll have what inserts whatever thing, whatever bigoted thing there. But what anarchists aren't, they're not pro ICE. ICE is a government uh, institution. So they are anti-ICE by the very definition of being anarchists. They are anti-war. They don't believe that the government should be attacking other governments because there shouldn't be a military. It should just be militias. If we need to fight, we have a militia. That's what the Second Amendment's for. That's why they're anarchists. They're pro-Black Lives Matter. They're anti-police brutality. A lot of them believe that police are criminals, that the police shouldn't exist. Uh, they're pro-LGBTQ because they're anarchists. They don't believe that there should be legislation that says, oh, well, you can't be gay or you can't be married if you're gay. You can't serve in the military. Well, they also don't believe that there should be a standing army. So all of the LGBTQ stuff, that makes sense as well because guess what? As an anarchist, you leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. And that's how we get along. It's a violent, uh, polite society because you resolve any conflicts with equal force, right? So basically the, the argument of an armed society is a polite society because if everybody has a gun, right, and somebody tries to mug somebody else and then that person gets shot, guess what? That society then immediately becomes calm again because everybody knows, hey, let's, it does not need to escalate from here. We dealt with the threat with equal force. We're going to keep carrying on. That is anarchy. You don't need the police to basically ratchet up the temperature of what's going on. So it was just a failed dunk attempt. Um, 
you know, I don't understand how, I guess, the Young Turks are considered a big, uh, you know, a thinking organization, because obviously if you don't take the time to read the article and you just read the headline, of course, the headline is going to be written for clickbaits. You actually need to read the content and the article to understand what's going on, because all you have to do is look into the article and quote, basically just do what I did and just take out a paragraph and go, hey, this completely disproves what you're trying to, to, to say. Maybe you should uh, apologize to Jimmy Dore. Uh, so jumping over to the Hill. Senator Ed Markey uh, from Massachusetts on Tuesday sent a letter to Facebook questioning the social media giant over reports that it has continued to recommend political groups to users, despite top executives complaining the platform would stop doing so. This senator said that the recommendations carry a risk of growing dangerous groups that are breeding grounds for hate echo chambers of misinformation and venues for coordination of violence. Markey underscored his push for Facebook to follow through on its commitment to stop recommending political groups by noting that some groups on the platform were used to plan the deadly insurrection at the, ca uh, the Capitol on January 6th. So why is Facebook still on Apple and Google Play, especially if they're still recommending these violent, um, these groups that are uh, promoting violence? I don't understand. I thought Parler had everything stripped away from them. What's going on? Why is Facebook the exception? Why is why is it not the norm? If the norm is completely deplatforming, slapping duct tape on like the smiley face logo of not censored yet, why is Facebook allowed to do this? The same question I have about Twitter with them peddling in illegal images of children uh, floating around the Twitter sphere. Users organize and coordinate violent and anti-democratic efforts on these pages, but Facebook does not just allow these dangerous pages to exist on its platform. It recommends them to users. So it's not just that they have it. They actually, Facebook invites people to those. They say, hey, you will like this page. Maybe you should like this page. That's bananas because I'm pretty sure Parler doesn't even have groups. It's just people talking and you just have, it's kind of like Twitter. Um, I'm not sure if Twitter has groups. Again, I'm new to Twitter. I've only had it for a couple weeks. Um, but Parler, from my understanding, it was just like Twitter in its infancy. So I don't understand how it's okay when Facebook does it and they're far more mature and they're basically far more um, uh, evolved, right? So they they have all these things where you can kind of sneak in into a locked group and then you can have these conversations. They have moderators who go into it, but people from the outside don't really know what's going on in those Facebook groups. Unfortunately, it appears that Facebook has failed to keep commitments on this topic that you made to me, other members of Congress, and your users. You and your senior Facebook officials have committed and reiterated your commitment to stop your platform's practice of recommending political groups. So he's basically putting them on blast. He's like, hey, do what you told us you were going to do or else. And so this is my problem with the censorship. This is my problem with all of this stuff. So. Facebook knew they were facing heat. Facebook is starting to basically ban left-wing and right-wing groups, right? And the reason why is you have Democrat lawmakers saying, if you don't play ball, we are going to regulate you to death. And then you have other Democrat lawmakers, uh, mainly the progressives, going, you need to shut that voice up. You need to silence that person. You need to de-platform that person. You need to demonetize this channel 
blah, blah, blah. And basically, in order to try to get in the Democrats' good graces, Facebook goes, okay, 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 please don't regulate us into um, bankruptcy. We'll do what you say. Tell us who to silence and we'll silence those groups. And that's my problem with censorship. Because basically, yes, it's my private business, right? But it's not a private business when the government tells them or when, you know, you have a politician that says that person shouldn't have a voice anymore. And then or basically you had Parler was was spreading bad content. And then two days later, they were dropped by Apple, Google Play, and AWS. Uh, that definitely seems like they all colluded with Democrat lawmakers to oust Parler from everything. And I had a Parler account. I didn't really use it, but I just had it just in case things went bananas. Plus, I wanted to secure my username because, you know, why not? Uh, the jumping over the daily wire CDC schools with in-person learning have seen scant transmission of COVID-19 the centers for disease control and prevention CDC in a paper published on Tuesday concluded that schools operating in-person learning with appropriate antiviral precautions have seen only scant transmission of the virus according to a number of studies conducted in districts across the country the news could pave the way for schools to reopen to in-person learning if certain guidelines are followed through CDC. Though CDC says that riskier activities associated associated with in-school education, like organized indoor athletic events, may have to wait a bit longer. That makes sense. Don't uh, play sweaty basketball. Don't do that. Don't play indoor football. Um, no uh, indoor wrestling. Because I think there was actually an outbreak of indoor, um, or outbreak of COVID from a wrestling event in Florida. The CDC team reviewed data from studies in the United States and abroad and found the experience in schools different from nursing homes and high-density work sites where rapid spread had occurred. The Washington Post reported Tuesday, the review, which echoes the conclusions of other researchers, researchers come as many school districts continue to wrestle with whether and how to reopen schools. And as President Biden makes a return to in-person learning, one of his top pandemic-related priorities. The CDC appears to have found that schools fare better when they observe some of the antiviral precautions practiced in other public spaces like big box retail stores. The agency suggests students wear masks while indoors and observe strict social distancing. So the big thing is kids don't spread it as much as adults. It has to do with their immune system. From what I'm told, it's their immune system isn't as mature. So it doesn't. So the problem with COVID-19 and adults, it's your immune system's mature. And basically it acts sort of like the Kawasaki disease in kids where it's, you basically have a flare up in your immune system and it starts attacking your lungs and your heart and your internal organs. Right. And that's where a lot of people end up with their pneumonia and dying. Uh, but kids, their immune system isn't developed enough yet, so their immune system doesn't overreact to COVID-19. That's why they can kick it in just a few days, and that's also why they don't spread it as much. But that's what I've been told. That's what I've read. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not a doctor. If you have questions about it, talk to your doctor about it. Um, but I do know that the social implications of not going to school is extremely important. Like people need to address this issue. The, the emotional growth of these students have been stunted for having not been in school for nearly a year and it needs to be addressed. Someone needs to take responsibility. Trump was trying to do this for the last six months 
and people were calling him crazy. They said he wanted to murder children. And now that schools, school districts and cities and states are basically going, hey, look, friends, I understand teachers that you believe you're going to be at risk, but students are literally killing themselves. Students' mental health is declining. We need to get them back in the classroom because these kids are fragile. And it's not fragile as in an insult. It's like I said yesterday, kids don't have the mental strength. They don't have the um, rigidity. They don't have support structures in their mind to basically go, okay, I can sit alone in a room for a week and not lose my mind. If a little kid did that, they would go bananas. So it's something to keep in mind. And that's why we need to send the kids back to school because you can't run the risk of basically suffering emotional and mental harm from not being social. Again, we are social we are social creatures as humans. As much as adults, you know, you have your your crabs and your hermits who just basically stay in a log cabin in the woods and you never see anybody. That's fine. You're an adult. You can do that. You have a purpose being out in the woods. But as a little kid, you need to interact with other people. And a lot of times you need to interact with other people outside of your family. So it's something to keep in mind. I think we need to open the schools. It's extremely important. I send my daughter to private school for that very reason. I sent her to a private Christian school because um, at the time, the public schools weren't open. It was all online. And I know my daughter wouldn't have enjoyed it. She wouldn't She wouldn't have paid attention just sitting on the tablet. She would have rather watched YouTube. She would have rather have played with a dog. She would not want to sit around for hours a day being on a tablet watching somebody teach. That's not what kids want to do. Kids want to go to school, like it or not. Kids want to go to school. Kids want to learn. Kids want to see their friends. And that's what's important. And if teachers believe they're at risk, then we need to find college-educated people who may not have a job right now who could be substitute teachers. And basically what you could do, you can have your substitute teachers come in and then you can have a webcam in the classroom with the actual teacher watching the class, making sure that there's no funny stuff happening. And then basically the teacher is there giving the class virtually, right? So with a projector, the teacher is giving the class. So it's like a reverse Zoom class. So you have your 20 kids all wearing their masks and you have your your one teacher being beamed into the class. And then if any of the students need help, then you have your college educated person to help them with whatever they're working on. I believe that would be a good compromise that would protect the teachers and then allow those people to get paid. If they get paid 15 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, that's better than not getting paid at all if they had lost their job due to COVID. But hey, that's my million dollar idea. If someone can implement that, why don't you give me a kickback? Because I would love that. Uh, but that's going to be it for now. I'm going to do more research. I'll drop another video in a couple hours. See y'all later. Have a good one. Bye. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode, I'll be talking about another list being created by the Democrats tracking former Trump officials, how the Chinese government is into butt stuff and their new COVID test, how Mike Lindell was kicked off of Twitter, how a dumb gotcha moment just turned into a corrupt, uh, basically a sign of corruption and breaking news, Inslee Blast Hospital 
that offered vaccine appointments to major donors. But before we get started, why don't you go ahead and smash that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and if you like what you see and you're enjoying what you're listening to, please donate to the show at notcensoredyet.com slash donate. It'll really help us out. It'll help us grow and produce more consistent quality content free from outside influence. So let's get started. As people leave government, we expect them to show up on on the doorsteps of corporate America. We are oversight executive director Revers said. A left-leaning Left-leaning advocacy group has announced it will create a, a list tracking former uh, a former Trump administration officials' future endeavors. The campaign against corporate complicity, complicity has committed to tracking former administration personnel since fall 2020, but said that the initiative has gained steam in the wake of the January 6th Capitol riot, according to Bloomberg. So my problem with lists is I understand that the left does not the does not like the right, but I don't recall any time that the right wants to make a list of the left where they want to basically dox where they work, where they want to boycott. Basically, they're calling on corporations to not hire these individuals. The group is a collaboration between public interest organizations, Accountable uh, US and American Oversight. While the group has labeled itself as nonpartisan, it does not officially disclose its funding and has major staffing overlap with Democratic and liberal groups, according to the news outlet. The organization will specifically track several Trump administration officials associated with Trump's immigration policies, including former acting Homeland Security uh, Secretary Chad Wolf, former Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, and former top Trump advisor Stephen Miller. Miller. It will also monitor one-time counselor to the president, Kellyanne Conway, and former Interior Secretary David Bernhardt. As people leave government, we expect them to show up on the doorsteps of corporate America. In a statement Tuesday officially announcing the initiative, Evers and Accountable.us, President Kyle Herring called on major corporation CEO not to hire officials in question. That's bananas. Why shouldn't they hire these people? These people have valuable insight into American government. They have ends. They could be used as lobbyists, whether you like it or not. These people, There's a reason why these people go from the government to corporate world, because guess what? They know the new leadership. They know the goings on in the government. And basically putting these people on lists, all it's going to do is further polarize the country. The people who uh, companies hire reflect their corporate values. If companies hire senior level officials that engaged in Trump's attempt to undermine and violate the rule of law, they are complicit in the cruel, undemocratic, and dangerous policies and rhetoric of his administration, Herrick said in a statement. In the statement, the group said it would specific, uh, specifically apply pressures to CEOs of major media organizations, publishers, and public speaking firms. Government service does not guarantee private employment. In fact, it should not. An American business should not reward the behavior behavior of the Trump administration with the well-oiled revolving door that traditionally spins at moments of transition, the organization said in a statement. So I agree. The well-oiled door, it should not just mean that you go from working in the government to making a multi-million dollar media job. They're correct about that. But to go, hey, we're going to pressure for the sole sin of working for President Trump. 
I don't believe Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway had anything to do with the Capitol riots. And they're saying, hey, we're going to keep an eye on her. We're going to ensure that she doesn't find a job. That just sounds like hate. That sounds like we're keeping a list. We're making sure that if you are found out to have ever worked for Trump or if you ever supported him or it eventually it's going to be if you're ever a conservative, if you ever voted red, you're going to be put on a list and you will never be able to find work. And that is extremely dangerous. COVID-19 anal swab testing in China. And you thought the nasal test was uncomfortable. China is using anal swabs to test its residents for COVID-19 amid a new wave of the outbreak. And local experts say that the method is a more accurate way of detecting the bug, according to a report. The derriere detection method is being used more frequently in Beijing after a nine-year-old boy tested positive for the highly contagious UK variant of the virus last month. But anal swabs have been used there since last year, reserved for individuals living in COVID-19 hotspots such as Shanghai. Nasal and, nose, nasal and throat swabs remain the most popular methods because of their convenience and speed, according to the outlet. Of course, anal swabs aren't as convenient as throat swabs, so they're only being used in individuals in key quarantine areas, uh, this will reduce the return of false positives. So basically, it's not even just a, it's a probe. It's going in two inches. It's not just a swab. It's, it's, it's two inches. It's a legitimate amount. Uh, what we found is that in some infected patients, the coronavirus survives for a longer period of time in their digestive tract or excrement than in their respiratory tract. So basically that you'll stop having it in your nose or in your throat, but you'll still have it in the mucus of your, uh, of your uh, poop shoot. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. It made me laugh. Uh, tweet from Michael Tracy. Lindell's office was allegedly committing repeated violations of Twitter's civic integrity policy, which prohibits claims that could undermine faith in civic processes such as elections. Thank God we have this tech clergy to mandate faith-based adherence to civic virtues. Associated Press. Twitter has permanently banned my pillow CEO Mike Lindell's account after he continually perpetuated the baseless claim that Donald Trump won the 2020 presidential election but all i have to say is this or he also says one of these tech clerics have ever considered that if the virtues of our hollow civic process need to be defended with increasingly extreme censorship action there might be something a little more fundamental at issue my concern is well i'm old enough to remember the entire four years trump was called illegitimate i'm pretty sure stacy abrams said that the election in georgia was stolen from her due to voter suppression. So if you can't say that it's stolen, if you can't say there's fraud, you can't say it's illegitimate. All of these words were safe for, for, were said for four years and none of those Democrats are banned. So I don't understand what the issue is. I like one standard. One standard makes things easy. Rules for thee and not for me is not something that uh, flies in my book because it just screams hypocrisy. It just makes life more confusing than it needs to be. Jumping over to David French, a dumb gotcha just turned corrupt. A tweet from Eugene uh, Kontorovich. This is staggering. Newsweek went back and rewrote a 2015 story that had described grads of Ranger School as Rangers to match its present day story accusing Tom Cotton, who the, who graduated the Ranger School, of not being a Ranger. I knew it would be bad 
but not this bad. So here's the edited version. Or actually, here's what uh, National Review wrote. Um, Cotton's communication director, Carolyn Tabler, tells National Review that Cotton's office contacted Newsweek this weekend to point out that Newsweek had identified the female Ranger School graduates as Army Rangers in 2015. Newsweek responded by editing its 2015 story to conform to Salon's new smear of cotton. The 2015 Newsweek story no longer says that two women will become Rangers. The edited version says they will be allowed to wear the coveted Ranger tab on their uniform. The original Newsweek story can be viewed here. If you want to get a sense of how insincere Salon's attack on cotton is, just take a look at all the times Salon articles refer to graduates of Ranger School as Army Rangers. So this is a thing that so Tom Cotton went to Ranger School. He earned his tab and he went to a regular infantry unit where he was a platoon commander, I believe. I'm not exactly sure about everything about his career but all i know is he had the ranger tab so he was a ranger it's so the best civilian description of this is you went to law school right you got your jd you passed the bar exam but you never actually practiced law you just went into corporate law and you basically wrote contracts all day so you weren't actually practicing law but you're still a lawyer if you wanted to go into court and go defend somebody you could do that but you're just a paperwork jockey and that's all you're doing and that's fine but you're not a sexy trial attorney like here in Texas where there's a bunch of personal injury attorneys that make millions and millions of dollars uh, unethically. Um, but instead, you're just basically doing paperwork all day and, you know, everybody does their thing. So instead of him going to a ranger battalion, he went to an infantry platoon and that's fine. He is still a ranger. He still did something that 99% of the mil uh, military does not do so i don't understand what the problem is if again if newsweek thought that people who went to ranger school became rangers you can't change that standard five years from now kind of like what i said you can't place your judgments from today five years ago you need to build upon that you can change your definition you can now say that those women who are not in ranger battalion are not rangers anymore they just happen to possess the coveted ranger tab that's fine you just downgrade them i suppose or you can just say we we're wrong our war against tom cotton is unfounded and we admit defeat because basically they're just being exposed for just being evil because that's all this is you're lying you're shadow editing and you're lying and gaslighting your readers it's bananas uh, breaking news in the past hour, Inslee Blast's hospital that offered vaccine appointments to major donors. Washington Governor Jay Inslee castigated a Bellevue-based hospital system over an email in which leadership offered appointments for coronavirus vaccines to major donors. We're pleased to share that we have 500 new open appointments in the Overlay COVID-19 vaccine clinic beginning this afternoon and tomorrow, Saturday, January 23rd, and next week. Molly Stearns, Chief Development Officer at Overlake Medical Center and Clinics, said in an email according to the Seattle Times, if in fact they were giving preference to some VIP lists, it's not the way to do it. That is not acceptable for us. We need to give everybody a fair shot at the vaccine, Inslee said in a news conference. We've got to maintain public credibility in the system. I'm told that whatever they were doing has stopped, and that's good 
news. Florida nursing homes and hospital systems have reportedly offered similar VIP access to donors. The whole idea of jumping the line because you're rich is morally reprehensible, and I agree to that. Everybody should have equal access to medicine. It shouldn't be an all at least to the vaccine. So I understand if you're rich and you can afford like extremely experimental vaccines or not experimental vaccines, but experimental uh, medical treatments that may cost millions and millions of dollars and you just happen to be really, really rich, then fine. If you're willing to pay millions and millions of dollars for that experimental treatment, go for it. When you're trying to combat a plague with a square, scarce resource, you ha- you really have to expect hospitals and their donors and others connected with them should have to wait with everybody else. Well, that brings up a whole question about equity, I suppose. Uh, we're under pressure to vaccinate people who are eligible and increase capacity. In hindsight, we could certainly look back and see this wasn't the best way to do it. The board said that the hospital system was overtaxed after vaccine eligibility was expanded last week to anyone 65 and older. After Overlake ramped up vaccinations, he said the system was left with 1,400 slots to fill and began emailing people whose contact information was readily available. It was never intended to be a donor event. So, I can kind of see where they're coming from. They go, hey, we have all these people's name and email addresses because they happen to donate to us and we have 1,400 slots. Well, let's just send out this information because we know who these people are and they just so happen to donate to us. Is it the most ethical thing? Probably not, but I understand where they're coming from when they go, hey, we definitely have these people, uh, these people's updated contact information because we always see these people when we have events and they come here and they're rubbing shoulders with people in the city. That's the way it is. Um, but I also see the other hand the, of the of the argument basically saying, hey, it just screams corruption. Why didn't you just post something on social media saying, hey, we have 1,400 slots, first come, first serve. We don't want to throw any of this vaccine away. I guess either option would have been uh, problematic, I suppose, because then you would have ran into the problem with Florida. You would have people um, sleeping in line overnight, people getting upset about that. And they go, hey, look, we had 1400 slots. We just wanted to make sure we didn't waste any of the vaccine. And we just said, cattle call, everybody come here. If you want it, come get it. But I guess reaching out to the 1400 people saying, hey, RSVP, we're having a donor event, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't look good, but you ensure that you have 1400 people there and it's not chaotic. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Either way, there's going to be problems. There's going to be people, there's going to be people unhappy about the way they administered the vaccine for the 1400 people. And I guess it is what it is when it comes to that. And hindsight's 2020. Don't, don't put out a donor invitation. It's not. It won't be well received in Washington from here on out. Uh, but that's going to be it for today, friends. If breaking news happens, if the world starts to burn, I'll try to post something up unless YouTube crashes, in which case I'll never see you guys again. But if that's not the case, I'll see you all tomorrow morning. Y'all have a good one. Later. Bye.